Second Timothy chapter three. Um, so in this in this series, what we're going to be dealing with is um, we're going through the Bible, right? And of course, the first thing we dealt with is in order to actually understand the Bible, the first thing in order to understand it, you have to have the Holy Spirit. And the only way you get the Holy Spirit is by trusting in what Christ has done, that he died for your sins, was born again or buried and then rose again the third day. Right. And that issue is at the moment that you trust in that God takes you out of Adam, places you into Christ. And from that point on, you are in living union with Jesus Christ. He he what he says you are. That's who you are. Um, what somebody else comes along and says, yeah, but you're not that. Well, the verse says that I am right. And because what we've, what we've gone through as we're going through, taking a look at the Bible itself, the words on the page are what matters. And Delilah's mentioned to me, uh, multiple times. And I know that it's something that I have to work on is there are times that sometimes I'll miss a word as we're reading. I understand that. And I know you all are paying attention to that, and I greatly appreciate that. And she said, you might need to start wearing your glasses. And I'm on, I'm on stage one where I've got to have 1.25 uh, just reading. No, no, she's just trying to help. Because when we say the words on the page matter, the one thing I don't want to do is mess up the words. Right? So I think that, that um, you all know that it's not something that I do purposefully, but it is something I am aware of. And um, maybe that is something, sometimes I'll start reading a verse from memory rather than reading it. And that, that does happen. So um, let's make sure that we, we do things correctly. Second, or Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Father, we thank you once again for your word, that we have it preserved for us in our language, that we can read it, we can study it, and we can apply it to our lives, that we might be to the praise and honor and glory of your grace. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> now, as we've gone through, we've talked about the, the first issue is salvation. Jesus Christ died for you. He died as you. He took upon you your second, took upon himself your second death. And so when he went through that second death, he was paying that penalty for you. And that's one of those things that, that, that's very basic and central to the gospel is when Christ died, he died for you. And what God is saying, he says, this is what I say is true. And all he's asking us to do is just agree with that, that Jesus Christ died for your sins. Uh, the fact that he was buried to do away with them and the fact that he rose again, that you might have justification to the point where you have been called by God justified. The fact that you are declared righteous the moment you get saved. That's who you are. That's part of your being. And based on that and that alone, God's going to take his word and he's going to teach you by us just simply believing the verses on the page. And that's one of the reasons why when Bruce is up here, the book that we care about, the Bible that we care about, there's a reason that we care about it is because the words matter, right? And so when we come to this, this is telling us a little bit of information about the scriptures. Now, last week, we, we, the second issue that we dealt with was the Bible. And of course, last week, what we dealt with was what? Well, we went through to look at a lot of those verses and we compared some verses to some of the modern versions. And there were a lot of them that were left out. <clears throat> there were a lot of them where words are left out. There are parts where entire sections are left out, right? 
So you just kind of be careful uh, when you're dealing with those things. And of course, there's always going to be people that bring up that idea of, well, the oldest are the better. Well, how do you know which ones are oldest? Right, because what's going to happen is somebody's going to say, well, this one's oldest. Well, then somebody else says, well, this one's oldest. Well, who's your, who's your authority at that point? Whoever's more convincing, right? Um, and one of the things that we mentioned, and it was actually on the radio program this morning, is we're not flipping about saying we believe in the King James Bible. We're not flipping in that. It's not an emotional thing where it's attached to that's what grandma believes. So, you know, praise the Lord, that's what I'm using. Um, there's a reason that we do it, and it's based off of Scripture, right? And when we take a look at this, because we'll look at this verse in the morning session as well, but notice it's all Scripture is given by inspiration. Now, when we talked about this last week, what's the main issue of inspiration? Of course, we're going to talk about that a little bit more next time. But the main issue with inspiration is what? God breathed. When you look at that, what that means is, is what? These are the words that God spoke, right? And what do we know about the words there is he placed his life in those words. And that's why the words matter. And, you know, we went over to Hebrews chapter 4 and read that verse in chapter, uh, chapter 4, verse 12 and 13, which tells us a little, bit about, a little bit about the word of God. It's quick and powerful, right? We talked about what does it mean that it's quick? It's alive. And we said when you read this Bible, it reads you. It's the only book in the history of mankind that will do that. No other book in history reads you as you read it. <clears throat> it. It can discern the thoughts and the intents of your heart. It knows why you're there. That's a scary thought sometimes. Because if you want to go there and you want to be able to prove yourself right or prove somebody else wrong, guess what you're going to do? You're going to find something to prove yourself right or prove somebody else wrong. And that's why a lot of times when people make arguments, they say, well, in this verse it says this, and this verse it says this, so I'm right. Well, what do we know? Well, <clears throat> if you don't take a look at the verses in their context, that means nothing. Because most of, most of the problems that people come across is because there's a misunderstanding of the book of Matthew, there's a misunderstanding of the book of Acts, there's a misunderstanding of the book of Hebrews, and there's a misunderstanding of the book of Romans. That's one of the reasons why we say we wanted to take a look at that this summer in the conference. <clears throat> most of those issues can be taken care of if you just read the verses and take a look at the context and the context will tell you that right so what we want to know here is <clears throat> all scripture is given by inspiration of god and it's profitable profitable for what for doctrine the very first thing there is doctrine what's it what's it going to be prop in order to get the profit out of it that god wants you to have what do you need to start off with is what doctrine then what for reproof well what's reproof well if you have bad actions how do you how are you going to reprove yourself is by getting in the book and really it does what it takes you back to the doctrine of course we'll talk a little bit more about that this morning for correction for instruction and in righteousness don't you want to live a righteous life the answer would be yes well how do you do that well the scripture is what's profitable to get you there that's where you're going to find it Verse 17, and we see this, that here's the purpose that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Now, again, the Bible, what it does is it's going to define for us what words mean. Well, what's he mean when he says that the man of God may be perfect? The idea there of perfect isn't sinless perfection. He's talking about what? 
Well, he says, comma, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. It's a person that is what? Thoroughly furnished unto all good works. It's somebody that is mature. And where does that maturity come from? From doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness that we take those verses and apply to our lives in every situation. And we take the doctrine and we put that to use. We, we, we find out that, hey, we've messed up. What do we do? Here's the doctrine to fix how we messed up. Hey, I'm believing the wrong thing. How do I fix it? Go back to the doctrine and it'll fix it. How am I supposed to live my life? Because that's the, that's the main goal, right? And so then what a lot of churches have done these days is they've gone off the deep end and said, well, we're just going to become a psychology group and we're going to use the Bible to do that. And oftentimes, what do they do? They misuse the scriptures. Well, the idea here is, is what? Well, you take the verses and what are the verses going to do? They're going to teach you how to live righteous. By what? By faith. Just taking them at, at, at what they're actually saying. And the point of that is that we would do what? We would mature. Now, as we go through, um, what I want us to first start off with is go back to <clears throat> um, Nehemiah. Nehemiah. Huh? No, I'm good. Nehemiah chapter 8. Page 549 for those that are keeping track at home. Nehemiah chapter 8. <clears throat> so Nehemiah chapter 8, what I want us to do is I want us to take a look at, okay, now that we've established that we have a Bible, and of course, like I said, we're going to take a look at um, the, the doctrine of inspiration and doctrine of preservation and things like that. We're going to look at that. But what I also want us to be able to think about now that we've got the Bible is how are we going to go about interpreting it, right? Because if, if all Scripture is given for those issues of doctrine, proof, correction, instruction, and righteousness, how are we supposed to go about studying it, right? Bless you. Now notice here in Nehemiah chapter 8, <clears throat> notice here in verse 1. And all the people gathered themselves together as one man into the street that was before the water gate. And they spake unto Ezra the scribe, bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded to Israel. So what is it that the people are doing? They're gathering here and there's one man that goes off into the street. And what happens? They speak to Ezra and say, what? Bring us the Bible. What they had at this particular time. They asked for what? Um, they asked, they spake unto Ezra the scribe, bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded to Israel. And Ezra the priest brought the law before the congregation, both of men and women, and all that could hear with understanding upon the first day of the seventh month. Now, what's the purpose of him bringing the, 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 law of the, the book of the law of Moses to them is what? And all that could hear with understanding. There's an issue there. They need to know these things, right? <clears throat> and there's a particular time. Notice, upon the first day of the seventh month, there's a particular time that's set aside, and here's what we're going to do. 
Notice verse 3, And he read therein before the street that was before the water gate from the morning until midday, before the men and women and those that could understand, and, all the, and the ears of all the people were attentive unto the book of the law. Now, stop and think about that one for a second. And the ears of all the people were attentive. That, that, how many times did you go to church back in the day and you're like, what, what were they talking about this morning? I don't know, but it was good. <laughs> uh, okay. What did they preach about? I don't know. Somewhere in the Bible. <laughs> but it's what? And the ears of all the people were attentive under the book of the law. Can I tell you? Can I tell you? It's, it's, a, it's an honor and a privilege to have a group of people that do that. Um, and it really is. Verse 4, And Ezra the scribe stood upon a pulpit of wood, which they had made for the purpose. The purpose of what? For him to stand there and read. And beside him stood uh, uh, Matahiah and Shema and Aniah and, and Urijah and Hilkiah and Messiah. On his right hand and on his left hand, um, Padiah and Mishael and, and Malchiah and Hashem and Hash, uh, Hashbadana, Zechariah and Meshulam. Read that fast once. Verse 5. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. And when he opened it, all the people stood up. Now, you go through this, and what do you notice? It's a lot of what we're doing today, right? When when we think about this, the only thing is we don't have everybody stand up when we read it. Could you imagine from morning to midday standing yeah, you're looking at six hours of reading. No, sir. No? Are you glad you have cushy chairs? <laughs> but notice, um, verse 6, And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, with lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. You see all these things, like this is what we do just by... We're doing the same stuff that they're doing, right? Verse 7. And Jeshua and Benai and Sherebiah, Jamin, uh, Achab, uh, Shabbatai, Hadijai, Messiah, Kelita, Azariah, Josabad, Hanan, uh, Peliah, and the, and the Levites, notice, caused the people to understand the law, and the people stood in their place. Now, what I want you to think about is, <clears throat> what is it that they're doing it's Ezra's reading it, and what's taking place is all these people around are doing what? They're, and, and, and what's interesting is, so it's like, have you ever, and, and people ask me, it's like, did the way that you have the church set up, is that what you always wanted it to be? Because I want you to stop and think, we're a lot different, not just doctrinally, but how we do things. How many churches could you go to, and in the Sunday morning message, you say, hey, I got a question about blah, blah, blah. They don't. But what's the purpose of this? So this would be just like somebody next to somebody. Hey, what did that? What did that? Is that what that just said? So that's what they're doing, right? And that's an important part of it because, and I've often said this before. There, I, I love when there's questions because it's two, two things are taking place. One, you care about what we're talking about. And two, you're paying attention. 
right? And if you're doing those two things, there will be questions. So notice, huh? No. Yeah, I mean, could you imagine? Could you imagine a large group of people, one guy standing up here reading it, and then there's people in the crowd that are doing what? They're, they're teaching it. Yeah. Yeah. And so they're, they're teaching. Here, they're, here's, what, here's what the verse say. This is what it is. And we see this. Notice in verse 8. So they read in the book of the law of God what? Distinctly. What's that kind of remind you of? Well, no, I don't need glasses. <laughs> so, so the idea, and here's, here's what I want you to think about. In 2 Timothy 2.15, he says, Study to show thyself approved, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed. What? Rightly dividing the word of truth. When you rightly divide, what are you doing? You're looking at things distinctly. You're making a distinction on things, right? And so what are they doing is, so they read in the book of the law, the law of God distinctly. By the way, I want you to notice this. We talked about this when we were talking about, um, you know, do we make too much of Paul? In verse 1, what's it called the book? It's called the book of the law of Moses. In verse 8, it's called what? The book in the law of God. Interchangeable, right? But what are they doing? So they read in the book in the law of God distinctly, notice, and gave the sense and caused them to understand the reading. What is it that they're doing? They're explaining it. So when you look at this, what are they doing? They're taking the verses and they're explaining the verses. How? Literally. Right? That's that issue of being distinct with things. You're making distinctions. You're setting things saying, here's exactly what he means. So one of the first things that we want to make sure that we know is, is when we go to study the scripture, the first method that we want to start off with is we want to be literal. We want to make distinctions. We want to look at it distinctly. We want to look at it to where it does what? Where we're able to get the sense of what's being said, not the thoughts behind it, right? Because when you start looking at other ways to look at it, what's another way that you can, that you can study the Bible and to look at it? If it's not literal, it's what? Allegorical. Well, it's really the meaning behind it that's, that's what, what matters, and what happens is the new modern versions, what they do is they, they interpret the scriptures based on the allegorical or what they think the meaning behind it is. But it's the scriptures that are given by, uh, by inspiration, not the thoughts behind it. Because a lot of times what people do is, well, what God really meant there was, and they'll say something opposite of what it actually says. And you're like, well, did he, did he mean what he said or not? Well, when, you, when you're dealing with something that, that would be literal, if he said, for instance, in Ephesians 2, when he says, you've been seated together with Christ in the heavens. Where are you right now? I'm literally right here. All right. Okay. So you're taking it in the context. What does it mean? And he's telling us exactly what it means. You're here. But in, in way, the way that God looks at it is, where are you actually, right? Yeah, 
Yeah. Well, well, it's partly that, but it's basically if it's if it's something that, for instance, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Is that literal? Yes. It's not a figure of speech. Yeah, it's not a figure of speech. Um, when John the Baptist sees Christ, he says, behold, the Lamb of God. Is he talking about an actual literal lamb? So he's talking about him figuratively. So the scripture will tell you if it's literal or figurative, right? And the context will tell you that. So to answer your question, what you were saying, is it based on the, con- on the context? It would be, right? So when we study the Bible, because this whole thing, what we're going through, going through the Bible, what we want to start off with is we're going to be literal when it's to be literal. And we're going we're gonna to see, it's going to tell us where it's going to be figurative, yeah. Um, and what happens is, <clears throat> when you look at that, the allegorical, what it does is, well, there's, there's some meaning behind it. For instance, as we were going through the parables, what's the purpose of the parables? Well, it's, it's, a, it's a way that God can teach a spiritual truth in earth. And I'm like, nowhere in Scripture does it tell us that. In fact, the parables tell us, when Christ is, is, is interpreting, He says, the purpose of me speaking in parables is so that the unbelievers don't know what I'm talking about. He's not trying to make it and package it in some sort of way where a child can understand it. That's not what he's doing. So when you, when you look at things allegorically, and the idea there is there's some story behind it, that's when you get in trouble. Because then it becomes your interpretation of what the verse says rather than what the verse says. Objective, yeah. So you look at those things, and <clears throat> J.C. O'Hare um, he's got a saying, a lot of other guys have, have picked it up too, but J.C. O'Hare had a saying, he says, if you spiritualize the verses, you will tell spiritual lies because you're not looking at it with spiritual eyes. And that's exactly what people do. And again, when you spiritualize a verse, what happens? If I spiritualize a verse, what have I just done is I've made me the authority. Right? And we're no better than all other religions. Um, but when we take a look at this, <clears throat> um, go over to Matthew 16. Matthew 16. We, we've talked about this. <clears throat> Um, a little bit on Wednesday nights. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 17, it says, And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say also, and, that I, and I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Well, when you talk about the gates of hell prevailing not against it, um, what's that mean? Does hell have gates? Yeah. But what happens is people say, well, gates there just means the power. And you're like, well, you start, you start, you start making things something that it's not. And then what happens is 
when something else pops up, what are you going to do? Well, if, if the gates are allegorical, then what do we know about hell? Is it really real? So then you, you see how you kind of put yourself in a corner and you paint yourself in a corner when you just start allegorizing everything. Um, <clears throat> so just kind of, just, you know, we, we want to take a look at those things, kind of understand a little bit about that. <clears throat> um, next, uh, get, uh, get Matthew chapter 26. Matthew 26. And this is this is another one of those that just kind of Matthew chapter 26. Um, let's start here at verse 26. Of course, this is the, the Passover um, in Matthew chapter 26, verse 26, and says, and as they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed it and break it. And gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. <laughs> so when you look at that verse, when he says, when he takes the bread and blessed it and break it and gave it to his disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. Is he using a figure of speech or is he being literal? Well, he didn't break off any part of himself, right? So it's, and so what happens is in certain religious aspects, what they do is they'll take, it'll, they'll take that and they'll say what? When, when they hold up the chalice and they do their little, whatever it is, right? What they do is they'll say what? That is literally become the actual blood of Christ. And then they'll take the bread and they'll say, this was bread, but now it is literally, and they, they'll say it, this is literally the actual body of Christ. And so then there, there's, this, there's this thing that you look at and you're like, did he actually take any part of his body and give it to him? No, he's talking about a bread. So when we look at that, is he being literal or figurative? He's being figurative, right? And there's actually people today um, that will say, no, it's, it's literal. It's the actual blood and it's the actual body. Well, if it's not the actual blood and the actual body there, why would we expect it, um, a cracker made by saltine and grape juice made by Welch's to do this, to do something different than it did back there, right? So you got you think about those things. Yeah, yeah. Um, so when we when we look at those things, kind of kind of think about think about that stuff um, <clears throat> as well. Um, Let's take a look at, um, well, I'm trying to think how I want to go about doing that. <clears throat> yeah. Back where you were before in Matthew. Mm-hmm. 16. It said, upon this rock I will build my church. Did they not take that literally and they found 
Well, <laughs> some did. They would do that. Um, so who? what's the rock there in the context, though? It does. It does. Um, but what's the context of that of that passage? Well, so in the, said, yeah, yeah, that that's that. Yeah. And so on Wednesday night, we talked about that a little bit. Um, so when you look at and when you look at verse 17, it says for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my father, which is in heaven. The father is the one that revealed to Peter that Christ is the rock. And then when you look at verse 18, he says, And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. So he's taking what God said, and he's expounding on it. So he's taking that statement of that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, and he's expounding on that and saying that's what we're going to build that church on. So that was that was a conversation that we had before too. Um, but yeah, that, that would be one of those... Um, when you look at it, what's Christ referring to? He's referring to the thing that was revealed to him by the Father, and he's saying, well, I say unto you, just like he did with um, the law in, in, in Matthew chapter 5. You've read it, you've heard it read or heard it said in the old. Now I say to you, and he expounds on what they said before. So, yeah, no, that's a good question. So if <laughs> Mm -hmm. Well, we allow the Bible to say what it says and mean what it means. Yeah. And that, that would be the easiest way to go about it. Um, speak when it says what it is and be silent when it says it's not. Um, <clears throat> so, yeah. Um, next thing, uh, get Second Peter chapter 1. Second Peter chapter one. So the first issue would be um, the issue of being literal, where it says to be literal, and figurative, where it where it's where it's to be figurative, and it'll take care of itself when you do that. Second um, Peter chapter one. <coughs> the next thing, what I want us to be able to see is the issue that we saw back there in Nehemiah. Um, second Peter chapter one, verse, we'll start in verse 16. Uh, and of course we understand who this is, who he's writing to, but notice in verse 16, for we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we, ha when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Well, when were they witnesses of, of his majesty? So in, in Matthew 17, which we'll get to on Wednesday nights, you've got the first few verses. You've got the Mount of Transfiguration. They see him in his majesty, in his glory. And so they were eyewitnesses to that, right? They saw it. They heard God speak. In fact, they say, should we make some altars here? And there's a reason why we'll talk about that when we get there. But notice verse 17, he says, For he received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory. 
This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with him in the holy mount. So he tells us right there, this is where it is, right? Is that the only time that God says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased? No, because he says it in Matthew chapter 3 with the baptism, right? There's also another time that, that we'll see some things with that too. But here he's talking about specifically about what? The Mount of Transfiguration. Verse 19. We have also a more sure word of prophecy, wherein ye do well that ye take heed. Notice, underline, mark, highlight, whatever you need to do. We also have a what? More sure word. He's saying we were eyewitnesses to his glory, but we have something that's better than that. So if we eyewitness something, is there something that's a better witness to it than our eyewitness? So when somebody says, well, I saw so-and-so get raised from the dead. Well, if God says that's not what he's doing today, then what do we believe? What we saw or what we read in the book? Right? And that's what he's saying. Here's something that's more sure, because what do we know about our eyes? Can our eyes be deceived in what it sees? The whole idea of magicians is based off of that, right? <clears throat> Notice, he says, We have a more sure word of prophecy, wherein ye do well that ye take heed, as unto a light that, that shineth in a dark place, until the day dawn and the day star rise in your hearts. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scriptures is, is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Now when you look at that verse, <clears throat> verse um, 20, he says, Knowing this, what? First, that the, what? No prophecy of the Scriptures of, what? Any private interpretation. Now, normally the way that that is thought of is what? Well, it doesn't matter what your interpretation is. My interpretation is this. Well, it's not that type of private interpretation. What's he saying is what? Don't take a verse and build a doctrine on it. You can't take a verse out of context and build a doctrine on it. And people do that all the time, right? The whole basis of Calvinism is taking verses out of the context and they build a doctrine that says everybody's elected to go to heaven or elected to go to hell you have no choice in the matter and they take verses out of scripture and that's what he's talking about there is that no prophecy is of, of of the scripture is of any private interpretation for the prophecy came not of old time by the will of man but by holy men of god which uh, but holy men of god spake as they were moved by the holy ghost now when we look at that what do we find out <clears throat> what's that tell us about the scriptures did man just write down what he thought he should write down? No. It didn't, come, it didn't come by the will of man, but holy man of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. So when we look at that, what do we also need to take in comparison is what? We've got to be able to compare verses with verses. You've got to take a scripture and compare it with another scripture. Compare it with another scripture. And the whole thing about that is, is you have to take it, what? In context. We said this morning... A text without a context is a pretext. And you can't build a doctrine on a pretext, even though tons of people do. Right? Um, so we've got to be mindful. We've got to be mindful of those things. And, and uh, 
and understand what's going on there. <clears throat> um, get Luke chapter 24 and Acts chapter 1. This is, this is one of those that that people sometimes will spiritualize. <clears throat> so Acts chapter 1 and Luke 24. So there's a couple interesting things about this. <clears throat> In Luke 24 and Acts chapter 1, um, Luke chapter 24, um, let's start at, verse, start at verse, um, start at verse 46. So Luke 24, verse 46. <clears throat> he says, verse 46, And said unto them, Thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. And that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And ye are witnesses of these things. So when you look at this, verse 47, where does it tell them that they're supposed to begin? Where are they supposed to go? All right. So what they're going to do is they're going to have repentance and remission of sins are going to be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. All right. Acts chapter 1. <clears throat> Acts chapter 1, verse 8. This is right after Christ has spent 40 days um, with, with all the disciples and the apostles. And they're where they're supposed to be. Notice in verse 8, But ye shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and under the uttermost part of the earth. And we had spoken these things while they beheld, he was taken up and a, and a cloud received him out of their sight. Now, when you look at that, where does he say that they're supposed to begin? Jerusalem. Did he mean Jerusalem? No, he meant your hometown. Because that's what it said in Luke 24 as well, right? But that's what people will do. Well, where is it that we know that he tells them in Luke 24 to start? Jerusalem. Where does he tell, where does he tell them right here in Acts chapter 1 to start? Jerusalem. Right? So when we look at that, where, where do we know that they're supposed to go? And where do we know that they're supposed to start is where? In Jerusalem. In order for, for them to fulfill the so-called Great Commission, where do they need to start? They have to start in Jerusalem. Right? Something else with that. Um you still got Luke 24, right? If you don't, that's fine. Grab Luke 24 again. And uh, Luke, uh, or Mark's, Mark 16. Mark 16 and Luke 24. So that's one thing that we find out by comparing a verse with a verse where they're supposed to go. Um and if we just wanted to say, well, we're going to make it, we're going to make it your hometown. There's a problem with that, right? Something else. Um, like I said, there's something else interesting with Luke 24. 
Notice in Mark 16, verse 15, um, he says what? And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to what? Every creature. Well, who's every creature? Was he talking about the squirrels and stuff like that? No, right? How do we know? Well, in Luke 24, verse 46, it says what? Thus said, thus said unto them, and he said unto them, Thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among what? So the, the every creature in Mark 16, what is it? It's the all nations in Luke 24, right? So we see by comparing Scripture with Scripture, we can see that. One of the other things, you know, there, there's a lot of times that we've gone through and taken a look at some of those things. And it's an interesting topic that we want to make sure that we deal with, right? Um, <clears throat> so lastly, 2 Timothy chapter 2. And... I asked this question on the radio program this morning. And when I was going to college at EKU, when I first went, I was going for communications in um, TV, radio, stuff like that. Um, I was going to be a big producer, I guess. Then I stopped going to class. Got five Fs because I didn't drop out. I may have met somebody. She was cute. Still is. No. I just got... Huh? No, not at all. Not at all. <laughs> so one of the things that they taught you in, the, in those communication classes for radio is you don't ask a question to people on the radio because they can't answer you. Or at least I don't know how they're going to answer. And one of the first things that I did was I created an ad, and the very first thing was I had a question. The professor's like, you can't, you can't have that. I'm like, okay, but I still did it. Anyway, but the question is, is that I asked this morning is how many verse, verses in your Bible tells you to study it and then tells you to study and tells you how to study it? There's one verse in the entire Bible that does that. The, the word study shows up three times in scriptures. One in Ecclesiastes says, much study is a weariness to the flesh. And it is because the flesh doesn't like it. Because what you find out is when you study, flesh doesn't like that. Two is to study to be quiet. That's a whole nother thing in and of itself. The third time the word study shows up is right here in 2 Timothy chapter 2. So 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 15 he says, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So when we take a look at these and put all these things together, how is it that we should go about studying the Bible is we're going to use the literal method unless we see that we're to be figurative and the context will tell that to us. We're going to be able to in allow the Bible to interpret itself. So by comparing verse with verse in context and then thirdly, we're going to imply the rightly dividing part. So when we, when we go through and we study the Bible, um, what we're going to do is we're, gonna, we're, we're going to adhere to those three things, right? Um, and that's, that's one of the things we don't, wanna, we don't want to move off of because 
we understand how important that is. All right. So those three elements, that's how we're going to start off going through here. Um, using the literal method, the comparison method, and right division method. So we're going to employ those as we study through. All right. Questions, comments, concerns. Looks like the next part, 16, mm -hmm. kind of says what happens when you don't do it okay. Yeah, and that, that's one of those things because people will say, well, when you, just, you just took 2 Timothy out of context to teach us how to study it. Well, he, he explains in the context what it means. And in the context... In the context, what he's dealing with there is you notice in verse 17, he talks about Hymenaeus and Philetus. Verse 18, who concerning the truth have erred, saying that the resurrection is past already and overthrow the faith of some. The idea of rightly dividing it is putting things in the timeline where they're supposed to go and not getting it out of time. And what they were doing is they, were, they weren't denying, they're not denying the truth of the resurrection. They're denying the moment that it takes place. And so then when you rightly divide, you're putting it at the right place. When you don't rightly divide, you put it at the wrong place. 